If you hunt enough, you learn the truth. What you seek speaks a language and knows it well. That's why every Primo's call for everything you hunt is made the right way. We sweat every detail so you get more out of every hunt and nothing leaves our hand until we know it'll work in yours. Because we don't just make the world's best calls, we speak the language. Primo's. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. All right, everybody. Welcome to the Full Scale Outdoors podcast. I am Dale Luganville. Thank you very much for joining me. My guest this week, I've been trying to get him on for a while. Failed attempt this winter. Failed attempt last week. <laughs> Could have had a really cool one this weekend. Uh, none of it worked out, but we finally got it done. So here we go. You guys if from the upper Midwest, you're probably familiar with him. Uh, you know him from the Crappie Chronicles. He's kind of made the uh, local podcast rounds. His name is Matt Waldron. He's a he's a hammer. He's a stick, and uh, he's actually a pretty funny dude and a cool dude to talk to. Super knowledgeable. You need anything electronics wise, talk to that guy. Your Vexlar, anything electronics, sonar. The dude is a font of knowledge. But on this one, we talk uh, for the most part strictly bass fishing, and of course we wander into ice fishing a little bit. But we get back on track. And well, we're breaking down pre-spawn, spawn, and post-spawn of both smallmouth and largemouth and how they differ. A lot of information jam-packed into this one. Uh, so give her a listen. Don't forget to uh, subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss one. And uh, like and follow on social media, Instagram, all that good stuff. Check out Matt Waldron stuff too. You will not be disappointed. The guy catches some awesome fish and just has overall great content so let's get into it here is a bass fishing episode for you guys with matt waldron on the full scale outdoors podcast oh here we go boys go that sound this is a good one not that I usually do a hard intro or anything but usually I just start talking <laughs> perfect <laughs> finally got uh, Matt Waldron on the line here um, was gonna have you well this is a quick story I'm going to tell. It's kind of funny. Um, Perfect. Had you lined up to be on the show earlier this winter, then like I was kind of hemming and hawing whether or not I should even have you on so soon because you were doing the, the unhooked thing with Patrick, with the lone angler. Lone angler. I think you had yep. just been on recently with Doug, with SmackDown Outdoors. I'm like, ah. <laughs> I mean, I'm always really saturating the uh, podcast market much, with Matt. Waldron right now. And uh, um, but I was like, you know, but it's always different. No matter who does the interviewing, it's like this, the conversation goes a different way each time. I was like, yeah, I would do that. So we had agreed on a time, and uh, I'm getting set up. And then I think I was just about ready to send you, like, you know, are we still on for tonight? And I, I get a notification that Doug went live on facebook and i click on it and who do i see that's not gonna happen <laughs> i completely forgot oh my gosh that's i wasn't crazy. even mad about it i was just like that is so funny and yeah I, I completely forgot I, this winter was probably the craziest winter i think i've ever had and I don't think this next year's going to be any better. I bet with that Crappie Chronicles thing got a lot of traction. That was pretty sweet. 
Yeah. Um, so I'm, yeah. I'm and, sure uh, that's why. Yeah, we got some big plans in the works. So I am. Uh, are they I'm doing super? You gonna do a part excited. two or uh, something different? I'm, I can't really say. We're yeah, super secret. <laughs> yeah, we let's just say we've got some super cool stuff in the works, um, and a lot of it's for all the fans of it that really enjoyed it. Um, nice. We're gonna be doing a lot of lot of cool stuff. So cool. I'm I'm very excited for this this next winter. It's uh it's gonna be pretty awesome. I think. Well, we haven't even officially gotten to summer, so let's stick to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's enjoy, to be after, let's enjoy the above freezing like, temperatures for a little bit here. Yes, I'm um, so happy it's hot out right now. I I got burnt out on ice fishing after like March. I'm only going to be doing half the tournaments that I normally do this year. Oh, is that right? Yeah, I mean, I'm probably end up missing half the UPL events oh. for filming and other obligations, and then I don't even know if I'm going to do it this next winter after this. Oh, following this season. might be your last one, maybe. Yeah, this might be my last one um, with the house and the wedding next year, and uh, whether we do filming again the following winter. Busy, um, busy, busy. Yeah, that, and I love doing the tournaments, but I'm kind of over it a little bit now. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe you'll find some. Yeah, maybe I'll probably do some NAIFCs if I go. do it. That'd be cool. Yeah, yeah. I think if I do it, that's what I would end up doing is NAIFCs. But even those I've heard are possibly going away. So really, I had not heard that. Well, it's it's hard to make money doing it for the people running it. You know, I suppose. Yeah, because they're going all over the country, and I don't know how much they're taking out of entry fees. But I I just don't see how they financially can keep doing it. It's not like it's like a like a bass fishing circuit where it's got a lot more publicity, you know? Right. I yeah. built a small industry. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. Small, but quick. I'm going to keep doing the Frank state championship though. Oh, that one. I have yet to do that boss. one. Dude. It is one of the more fun tournaments. I would say. Yeah. I would like to, uh, was going to do it this year until they canceled it, but yeah, that did kind of suck. I was sad when they canceled it, but, with the indoor weigh-in and how everything was going this year, they won't let them do it. Right. But, well, yeah. it is what it is. Well, should have it this year, barring any new pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't. I can't deal with another one of those, dude. I miss the ice show so much. Like, oh, yeah. I can't wait for the ice show this year. Yeah, that should be a go. Game fair should be a go. Everything. Yep. We should. We should be back to some sense of normalcy at least. Yeah, that's what it's start, starting to feel like. A lot of places lifted mask stuff. Yeah. Kind of interesting that's... to see who does and who doesn't. Like, some of them are, some places are still doing it and clinging to it, and it's kind of weird, but. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's going to be an interesting next couple months, I think, but. Yeah, I think. Oh, I, well. I think even I'm... some of the hard, the diehard maskers are going to get pretty fatigued with it, knowing that. Nobody else is doing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. At some point in time, you got to be like, okay, this is pointless. <laughs> yep, exactly. So I mean, hopefully unless, that happens sooner. Unless somehow numbers just like completely spike in the other direction, which I doubt that's going to happen. So Yeah, especially in the summer. Yeah, that's highly unlikely. But mm-hmm. we were we were originally going to talk about bass spawn, but I guess at this point I'll just – maybe we'll cover it a little bit, but I know a lot of places are pretty much done, depending on yeah. where in the state you are. So we'll just mm-hmm. do this as a blanket bass fishing episode. But um, what are some of the things? So you, I guess, well, there's two different kinds of bass. But let's just start with you. On you like the brown ones, right? Oh yeah, that's you were, by you were, far my favorite. I, yeah, I think that's pretty much everybody's favorite because they're just so angry all the time. Yeah. Um, so you were up on the big pond. You're on Malax this weekend. Yes. Griff and uh, Adam Winkleman from uh, Relevant. How did yeah. that go? And what were, were are they were they spawning? Yeah, so it was actually a lot of fun. Um, I've been up there the last two weekends, and normally I do all of May, but uh, with the house and everything, and the Minnetonka Classic being June fifth, I normally don't do that one, but I'm doing that with Griff this year. And uh, so this next weekend, I'm going to be out on Tonka doing a little pre fishing on Monday, I think. 
um, Saturday and Sunday. I'm going to leave that to the pleasure voters. Dude. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be crazy out there. But it uh, – Mille Lacs has been really good. But, it's it, to be honest, it's like two weeks ahead of time. So, normally, fish and opener, Mille Lacs, you have low 40-degree water temperatures. Sometimes it's not even 40. I know a couple of years ago there was still ice on half the lake for opener. That's crazy. Um, yeah, so it uh, it kind of depends um, on the year, but normally they don't start spawning or even think about spawning until Memorial Weekend or even after that. But with this last year um, or this year, when we got up there for opening weekend, water temps were in the mid 50s which was kind of a shock to us but it uh they were a lot further along in their pre-spawn phases than i was anticipating and pre-spawn is usually my favorite time to fish the smallmouths on the lax and just smallmouth in general uh they get into really large schools and you'll go a little bit without catching them but then all of a sudden when you start catching them you can usually spot lock or power pull down an area and consistently catch them making the same exact cast because they group up into large schools right we weren't seeing any of that last weekend we were seeing a lot of two packs and three packs of fish where they were already broken up from their pre-spawn school and starting to pair up and looking for a partner uh there was already fish that were starting to make beds on opener out there which is that's crazy i've never seen that out there it was it was insane to catch a bed fish on opener it was on the wax especially it was it was pretty ridiculous so we uh that kind of changed up a lot of the the game plan i had for this weekend especially um but yeah so last weekend i was able to find a couple big pre-spawn schools still um, but it was a lot of onesie twosie type fish, um, where you would fire up a couple of them and then you wouldn't catch anything and you'd have to shift the boat, you know, 20 yards and then you would catch another couple of them and then nothing again. So it was, it wasn't where you were just absolutely meleeing a fish on a rock spine. Um, it was a lot more touch and go with the pre-spawn schools. Uh, there were still a couple of them this last weekend, but I mean, I found like two schools on the west side, which was cooler water temperatures than the east side. The east side, there was beds everywhere. And so that was fun seeing Adam bed fishing a little bit. I personally am one of those guys where I feel like bed fishing is kind of a no-no. Those fish get harassed so much on the beds out there. Half the fish that we saw already had black spots on their mouths, which is usually bruising from being caught before. Um and on those fish, we would just drive by them. We wouldn't even mess with them. They'd already been harassed enough. Um, a lot of people don't realize that every time you take that fish off the bed, that allows 30 seconds or 50 seconds or even a couple minutes, depending on if it's a big one and you're taking a picture, for crawfish and rock bass to go in and start eating those eggs. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, no one wants to see that. And sometimes those fish actually do die just because they've been, they're already so stressed with spawning. That's just a lot of unnecessary added stress so normally what happens when those fish start to spawn i'll go have my one day of fun and then i'm done and then i i go and i start fishing back around minnetonka and the lakes that are already post-spawn um and i just leave those fish be and i don't want to harass them too much but that being said if you want to get like kids out it's a ton of fun i mean it is catching smallies off the beds is great because there's no hesitation. They're super aggressive. They're not like largemouth. Largemouth are usually a lot more passive on the bed. You really have to aggravate them and get them worked up. Uh, you'll spend 20 to 30 minutes on a big fish, whereas smallmouths, if you don't catch it within the first five minutes, that, that fish has a good chance of not eating. So normally you can catch them within the first minute or two, though. And the boat can be right next to them. They're not boat shy at all when they're on the bed. And, and what, in fact, it, what are you usually well, throw? Are you throwing like a Ned rig in there, or what? What kind of? Um, what's your technique? There's a couple moods of the fish. Sometimes they don't care if something's on the bed itself. Uh, sometimes they want it above the bed. So I'll work a drop shot in there. Um, I'll swim a Kitek over the top. I'll kill a crankbait over the top. Um, but most of the time, they do want something actually down on the bed, and so that's when I'm throwing the net rigs that's when i'm throwing the uh um 
actually probably the, the, the best bait by far is a Kitek or a Mega Bass Spark Shed on a Ned Rig head or a Mighty Jig head. Um, and that would is by far my favorite way of catching them is, and probably, probably I would say the best way of catching them would be, um, with a small little swim bait on a net head. Uh, it just really pisses them off when they see that little minnow inside their bed. It's like um, a fish in there grubbing on their yeah, eggs. Yep. Yep. So I like to use like for the spark shads, the three inches and the four inches are really good. Um, for, the Kitex, I like using the 3.3s and the 3.8s. Um, I usually don't dabble with the 4.3 and the 4.8s until the fall when I'm wanting to use a little bit larger presentation for them. Um, but it works super, super well. So I uh, I really like throwing those swim baits. Um, and then I'll throw a Ned bait like a, uh, uh, let's see here, probably my favorite one would be uh, it's made by 10,000 Fish, which I believe is a Ketchco brand, and that is the Sakoshi Bug. Um, it's very, very similar to a Z-Man-style plastic where it's that Elastec material where it's super stretchy and very durable. Um, but it also has like a Lake Fork Tackle ring fry body to it where it's got the ribs on it that catches a lot of bubbles. And at the end of it, it's got appendages like... Uh, almost like a z-man hula stick where it's got those little appendages on the end oh, except they're sure. a little bit more spread out um and so that's a really good one it's just something different that not everyone is throwing it is getting more popular though right um and then probably the secret weapon i would say they don't touch any of that dude flipping a hair jig into the beds just like a, a normal marabou hair jig that you would throw pre-spawn for them they hate it on the beds too. So that's another really good one as well. And then obviously drop shotting. It's, it's hard to beat, but everyone throws drop shots now. So it, uh, they get very conditioned to it very quickly. And, you know, a lot of people don't give small mouse as much credit as they should. They're pretty smart fish. So even on their beds, they can be smart at times. So, Oh man, I've seen them things so scrupulous before where they'll just sit there and stare at a bait for forever. Yeah. finally deciding to eat it it's like you've got to be kidding me yeah so that's why like there's a lot of nuances to bed fishing and sight fishing normally you can get a fish to react um so that's why i have all those baits rigged up at the same time and i'm constantly switching up the rods i'll pitch in with one bait then pitch in with the next bait then pitch in with the next one until i see that fish react the way i want it to normally what i want it to do is I want it to show some sort of acknowledgement to the lure. Mm -hmm. So I want it to either nose down or turn on its side and look at that bait. Um, that usually means he doesn't like it, and he doesn't want it to be in there. And so normally if I can get that reaction, I'll keep throwing that same bait in. But until I get that reaction, I'm constantly switching it up. The next thing that you'll notice with the beds is you'll find there's a sweet spot on the beds. Usually it's where the female drops a majority of the eggs. So what I like to do is I play four corners with the bed and I'll just work each <laughs> corner of the bed until I figure out which area of the bed pisses them off the most. Um, and then probably the last thing, sometimes you need to give them a little nudge and you need to piss them off a little bit. So what I'll oftentimes do is, if I can't get it to react on anything, I'll pop it, just lightly pop the bait into the fish. Try, I'm not trying to snag it. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to just bump the fish and let the fish know that there's something there. And that can really fire them up. I had that happen probably five or six times this weekend where the fish wasn't reacting to any of our stuff. I'd flip in there, I'd bump it a little bit, and i just let it sit there and it'd spin around and eat it. So there's a lot of little tricks that I've learned that you can do with bed fishing that can really make a big difference to quickly, you know, converting on a fish. What depth of water were you in this weekend? Uh, we were just fishing the sal the shallow ones that we could actually see. Okay. Um, that was, that was a, uh, I mean, mostly because we were doing a lot of testing of sunglasses because we were with Adam Winkleman from Relevant. So he brought out a bunch of sunglasses, frames, lenses, 
And we were just seeing what looked the best, and it was perfect conditions. It was flat, calm, and it was partially sunny. So oh, nice. um, it, it allowed us to really get good visuals of the fish and see how it looked. Um, the biggest fish out there, you can't see them spawn. Uh, the water is crystal clear out there right now, so there's definitely potential for you to see them. But uh, those five and six pounders usually spawn in about 10 to 16 foot of water out there. Um, and so when they're doing that, normally what I'll do is look for big boulders or hard rock the sand transitions. And I'll use my side imaging and actually mark the bed. Um, and then once I get close to it, I'll use my live scope as a general tool of reference and then, uh, use that to, to start working the bed. Um, and we didn't do any of that this weekend. We didn't have to, um, we were mostly just going for those easier fish since we had limited time, but for tournaments, that's what I usually do out there sure. going for those larger ones. But, um, yeah, this time it was a lot of that six foot and under, um, there was a couple of fish that were spawning on docks that we hit. Um, and there was, we, we caught, I would say about, I would say about 10 free spawners that were just out cruising around, roaming around. Um, but most of the fish were already locked on beds. So what are you throwing uh, for those pre-spawn fish? Are you doing a moving bait? I know you mentioned that yep. a hair jig earlier. Yeah. So pre-spawn, um, my three favorite baits by far. Yeah, number one is a jerk bait. Um, I can cover water with it and I can usually get a school pretty fired up on a jerk bait. Um, I'll have to send you some pictures, but I've had a couple times where I've caught two fish on one jerk bait, um, just because they get so fired up with it. Mm -hmm. Uh, another one's a hair jig. I absolutely love throwing a hair jig. Um, a lot of people throw straight black though. And that's probably the last color that I throw now. Most of my colors that I throw are like a blonde or a um, like a, a dark brown um, or an olive. Um, I'll also mix in a little bit of red wine color to it too. Um, Thorn Brothers makes, well, Luke Ronestrand actually makes the Thorn Brothers hair jigs. Those are probably, I would say, the best hair jigs on the market right now. Um, and that that's... I would say if you're going to go buy a hair jig, I like making a lot of my own, but if you're going to go buy a hair jig, that's probably the best one. Um, and I usually start off with just a straight slow reel. I want to keep that hair jig just above the bottom. If I start ticking bottom, I speed it up just a hair, or I just simply position my rod a little bit more vertical. Um, and I'm throwing straight six pound copolymer, um, most guys throw fluorocarbon. I don't throw fluorocarbon because it doesn't seem to cast at quite as well as a copolymer or a monofilament. And I want to get more of that float in the line to keep that bait up a little bit more. It allows me to reel it slower and get a little bit more control, um, than it, than I can with like a braid to mono or a braid to fluorocarbon or a straight fluorocarbon line. So I like that, uh, and it also gives me a little bit of forgiveness as well. Usually I can, I, I skin hook a lot of fish on hair jigs that I would normally miss. So that, that little bit of forgiveness you get with like a copolymer, it usually helps. But six pound test is usually what I throw. Um, and you just work when, in the shoreline or are you up on like gravel flats? I'm on usually. So what I like to do is. I kind of break down the lake differently than a lot of people. I look at like large flats and big expansive areas and I pick high percentage areas on that flat to work first. So, uh, inside turns and points of rock spines, you'll have one giant flat and you might think it's all the same depth, but once you get on top of the flat, you'll see that there are a ton of rock to sand transitions where it'll come up, then back down and come up, then back down. And it's not actually a flat, even though it is one area of mm -hmm. shallow water. And so I'll start working inside turns and points of each one of those flats until I find a school of fish. And then after that, I'll start looking at the more isolated type stuff where it's a large rock. Um, that's usually what I'm looking for with isolated stuff, like a big boulder or maybe a rock patch out from the big spines. Um, 
And then I'll, I'll go to those and I just keep covering water until you find a school. Because once you find a school, it can be every single cast. Um, my best day out there was a 30.22 pound bag. And I sat there spotlocked for six and a half hours and didn't move. That was with my buddy Big Red. Oh, wow. Um, and we caught all those on a netterig. And it was just literally, it was painful because you'd cast it and you let it sit there and you'd kill it. And you wouldn't touch the bait at all. You just let it sit there. And I mean, it was absolutely painfully slow. That's so brutal. It was almost every cast, though. We caught, I don't even know how many four to five pounders we caught. Our three bigs went 695, 641, and 633. That's why I absolutely love pre spawn out there. We just missed that. We were about a couple weeks late this year on it. Yeah, it went fast. Like, even the, I found the same thing with the largemouth. Oh, yeah. You're saying, you know, you get in a good school, and it's like every cast. And. I, I love free spot for large ball. Same thing, going to the shallow weedy yep. bay or something, and you know, I'll just throw like a swim jig around. And man, they'll and then just, once you find God, them, they'll boom, just, boom, boom, boom. Yeah, it's like one right after. No, like I said, you can just sit there parked and just like I don't even know how this many fish are in one this this small of a spot, but they are. And you just light them up, and I just it's kind of like what you said. You're finding you know twosies and threes. That's that's what I found large. You know, free spot large ball. I'd get bit and it'd be bang, bang. I'm like, all right, here we go. And then, you know, three and you're done. And you have to move down the line. You're like, what the heck? Just yep. never found a big concentration of them this year. It's kind of weird. And, yeah, uh, it, it was a very strange year. Um, well, it, it warmed up it, fast, but it also, we all, we also had those, like, it was a roller coaster. It'd get really warm, then it'd get really cold. It'd get really warm, and then it'd get really cold. So I think, I think there was a lot of fish staging and then pushing back out and pushing back up and pushing back out. And it's like, yeah, so I and I just... think a big thing is this last warm-up we had two weeks ago, it it stayed warm at night, and mm-hmm. I, that's a huge thing with the, the fish's spawn. It's it's when it starts staying warm at night, that's when you know the fish are going to be ready to move up. When it's that super cold nights, those 40-degree nights, those fish don't move up. They stay out, but when it starts getting warm at night, that's just when you know they're, they're yeah. going to be staying up, so... But yeah, it. Uh, I mean, the largemouth spawn around here is like three quarters of the way done. It seems like right. I, mean, I was up on in Brainerd area this weekend. I was on Gull, and mm-hmm. there's a fair amount of empty beds. Yeah. But there were still some active. Like I watched bass actually spawning. Like there's yeah. one in it. One comes into it. They were all on their sides. Like they were actively spawning. Yeah, those uh, are really hard to catch when they're actively mating. Yeah, they are. <laughs> yeah. They didn't want it's anything. so frustrating. They don't care about anything else besides getting it done. Yeah, yeah. And that, I mean, you can't really blame them, right? Yeah, I mean, guys got to get it on every once in a while. So, <laughs> right? but yeah, that uh, it's hard to catch them when they're doing that. Normally, you, know, you have to wait for them to stop, and once they settle down, that's when they'll start getting more aggressive. Yeah. Um, well, I. I agree with what you said. Like largemouth, sometimes bed fishing. Like I'm always like, I don't get what the hype is. These things are a pain in the ass. Like they just. Oh yeah. It's frustrating. You finally it's get one to kind of look like it. They'll kind of like like look, and then they just go back to staring off into the distance. You're like, oh my god. Like, yeah. And I'm just not that much of a sit and wait fisherman, anyways. Like that that kind of like just letting it soak in the nest until they finally can't stand it, and you know, it takes five ten minutes. Like I just, I'd rather go find active fish. You know, free spawners. Even exactly, even drag yeah. a jig post spawn on a weed line or something, you know, like it's yeah. just, I don't know, I, I just don't have the patience for that, I guess. But I switching completely up, agree. Switching up those baits till you find something they react to. I did that with the dogfish this weekend. He was on a he was on a big bed. Oh, I couldn't resist. I have to catch him. If I see one, I have to try to catch it. Dude, they fight so hard. Oh, there's just they're just a cool fish, man. Right now they're they're spawning, so they're they got the neon green fins. They're they're badass. I did end up catching one. Um, but it, awesome. it was that same thing. It's like I was parked right on top of his nest, and he didn't care about the boat, one one iota. And I'm just, you know, I threw a swim jig in there, and he wasn't interested, and threw a Ned rig in there. I've had luck, good luck with Ned rigs, and he kind of looked at that one, but then lost interest right away. I just kept throwing stuff in there, and finally I just I picked up a big, a big bass jig, big black and blue craw trailer, 
I thought I'll go big, piss him off. big and gaudy. And then he followed that all the way down. And then he was staring at it and I twitched it. And he started biting it, but not not engulfing it. Just like, mm-hmm. well, you know how a dogfish's mouth is. Like all their teeth are right on the, like the the front edge of their face, you know. Oh, so he was just, he was just violently <laughs> nipping it. Like just like, I'm going to kill this fucking thing. You know, I probably thought it was a bluegill because there was a ton of bluegills, yeah. you know, right around his nest just waiting for their opportunity. And then finally he took one bite, one one bite too big, and I was able to get the hook in him. And it was nice. A, took some pictures, and, I mean, the moment I got him in the boat, I looked down at his nest, and those bluegills, just like you were saying, those bluegills were going right in. And so I yep. snapped some pictures, and I got him right I got him right back in there, and he went he went right into that nest and immediately started chasing them bluegills out. Like, he was oh, yeah. he was unfazed, but. Yeah. Uh, he went, yeah, he went right back to kicking ass. But it was, yeah. it was interesting to see, like, how, I mean, it's like a, if you watch a bass, like, you know, nip the tail end of a Ned Brig or maybe a Texas Rig worm, and they don't really take it, you know, like, kind of sometimes they'll swim around with just the tail before they actually, like, suck it in. He was kind of doing that, but it was, like, real quick. He wasn't holding on to it. It was just these quick but super violent nips. Like, hmm. he was trying to hurt that thing. <laughs> yeah. He just wasn't. Yep. He wasn't trying to eat it, so he wasn't opening his mouth and actually sucking the bait in, you know. It was yeah. it was kind of crazy. It took me it took me a while to to get them to go, but they're so fun when you get them to eat, though. Yeah, yeah. And then I seen quite a few more, and uh, couldn't I'd get them to to turn and look at it, and then did you go and hit any of the smallmouth on Main Lake Gull or Round? Uh, I did not look for uh, any smallmouth on Gull. I wasn't sure there was smallmouth. I actually pulled it up on the DNR Lake Finder, and it didn't show anything in their survey. Oh, they're smallmouth. <laughs> okay. I mean, if I had yeah. seen a smallmouth, I probably would have, but I Yeah, didn't. so usually you have to go to, like, the main lake reefs and stuff on Gull. North, okay. Usually it's, like, the north half of Gull because they come from round into Gull. And, uh, yeah, there's some absolutely huge ones. We had a Minnesota Team Trail tournament out there last year, and second place was all big smallmouths. So they're, and they caught them on main lake Gull. Hmm. Um, yeah, there's some really, really big smallmouths in there. There's just not a ton of them, but they're starting to become a stronger and stronger population of them out there. Same with Minnetonka. There's more and more every year. Um, the lake sets up weird. It's like a lot of deep water and then a lot of shallow water and there's like nothing in between. Like it just comes out of the depth, like super steep break. And then it's super shallow. Yep, that's usually why if you do find a good area in a mid-depth spot out there, so like that 12 to 15 foot, it's a good area almost the entire year because it's Hmm. a transition spot where fish can go from deep to shallow. And I was kind of doing some, uh, the real reason I was fishing gull was kind of just, I'd never been on it, so I just kind of wanted to familiarize myself with it because we have it, not to bring it back to ice fishing, but Minnesota Made has it on their schedule for this winter, so it's like, well. Oh, you guys are fishing gull? Yeah. So I was kind of wanted to get a lay of the land a little bit, see how it sets up, and do a little size checking to see what, what we're up against. I didn't catch any crappies. I did see some decent ones, but I didn't actually catch any. Didn't fish for them too much either. Because so I was kind of bass fishing, and then if I would see some panfish, then I would, you know, try to catch them. But I did catch a couple absolute donkey like pumpkin seed hybrids just yeah like i'm like there's oh, some huge hybrids in man there. this these are going to come into play this winter it's like all right well we're going to be Absolutely. using cameras a lot <laughs> well if you can uh there's a couple so we had ice team university out there a few years back and i'm probably not going to say the spots over now i'll text you them <laughs> so the other guys down here yeah. but uh we down. found some really big hybrids up shell and they were mixed in with rock that's kind of what I was expecting. Not so much the rock bass mixed in, but those hybrids do seem to like that shallower water, especially in that in a lake like that where it's just real clean. Looks like it has good weed growth. I assume the weeds are still alive in the winter, or at least they will be. Yeah, somewhere. they were for us, and it was late winter. We were catching them out of cabbage. Yeah, that's kind of what I expected. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, a lot of camera. It's gonna be a lot of camera work. Oh yeah, I actually just scored a new camera auger for the year. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I found a four-inch Strikemaster laser synth- uh, synthetic. Hmm. Synthetic, huh? It's like the original. Uh, it's the original synthetic auger, pretty much. You know how there's a K drill pistol bit. Sure. Yeah. Uh, 
the light flight. This is the original one. Hmm. Um, I'll send you some pictures of it, but yeah, it, uh, it's an oldie. They only made it for a few years. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a really good, it's a lightweight scouting auger, but I found a four inch or so my, my three inch, my three inch doesn't work for the camera that I use now. So I had oh, to go with a four inch. What now. are you using for a camera? Um, I was using the Aquaview Recon, or not the Aquaview Recon, Mark. the Aquaview Pro 5.0 Revolution. Okay. Um, or the five, yeah, whatever it is that the, it's the one that records and everything. Yep, it's got the nice yep, cable yep. winder in the back. They mm-hmm. can see it uh, this last year I tried out the Markham one. Um, they came out with a new one this last year. It was like the Pursuit HD. Um, and I actually really liked it a lot. Uh, I did have a couple issues with software on it. Um, I didn't have any software issues with the Aquaview. Um, we don't make a, Fexlar doesn't make a micro camera, so I'm free to talk about right. other brand micro cameras. <laughs> right, right. If we made one, I would obviously be using ours. But right, right. Um, it, uh, the, so the camera for it um, had better picture quality on the Markham. The cord on the Markham one was a lot heavier duty than the old Recon Markhams. Um, and so I liked that upgrade to it. It was a very nice upgrade. Um, the only downfall to it is the reel on the Markham one was nice, but there is nothing to keep the cable on the reel. So it just fall, fall off the off. reel. Well, that's not good. And that was a pain in the ass when it was super cold out. Right. Um, the reel was a little bit chintzier. Um, I don't know. There was so many pluses and minuses to both of them. You can't really go wrong with either. So I don't know what I'm going to do for a camera this next year yet. I haven't decided on if I'm going to go back to Aquaview or if I'm going to stay with the Markham mini camera. I, I don't know what I'm well, going to do yet. I need to upgrade too because I, I had the Markham Recon and it was great. You know, they say comparison is the truth of joy. When I saw some other people that had the Aquaview Oh my God, that you could see so yeah. much better. I'm like, oh, I'm for sure missing fish. Yeah. So yep. I either need to, and I don't want to have to. I, we, I like my little three inch camera auger. It's got the reverse, you know, threads yep. on it. It works good. Like, it's super fast. I don't want to have to worry about Oh, the little yellow a, one? Yep, the little yellow ones. I don't want to have to worry about getting a four inch auger because the new camera is well, too big. If anyone so. wants a three inch yellow one, I've. Uh... I've got it for sale. Well, there you so, go. Yep, I've got, I've got that one for sale, and I'm just going to be using the four inch from now on. And then I also got my five inch auger for sale too, um, because live scope doesn't fit down it, so there's no point in using it anymore. Right. Um, I used to use it just so <laughs> big bluegills wouldn't, you know, turn back down. Right. But they get stuck. Yeah. It. It sucks when you walk up with the live scope looking for another school to go run to with your Vex, and all of a sudden you can't get the live scope in the hole because it's a five-inch hole. Right. So I just use the sixes from now on, and it, the six and the four, the four for the camera, the six for everything else has been working good. And then this next year, we're running all eight-inch joggers for the Chronicles because I'm not getting crappy stuck up a six-inch hole anymore. <laughs> that's, a, that's usually not a problem most people are going to have. <laughs> yeah, and when you're chasing the biggest crappies in the state, it it doesn't yeah doesn't do you any good if you get it stuck and you can't no, catch it. You start getting you know 16, 17-inch crappies. Those things are tall, yeah. super tall. Yeah, and it's it's hard to get them up that six inch hole, so it's it's not not even useful to continue doing it, you know. So, well, yeah. so I'm changing that up this next year let's too. Let's get back to bass fishing. Absolutely. Um, so, once we get through the spawn here, post spawn is notoriously difficult by but for a lot of people. Um, yep. So, I hate it. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's tough, right? They're they're yeah. they're recovering. Um, so what what are some techniques that you use? Like once you you go to the lake, you realize you find nothing but empty beds. Yep. Tough bite. What um, are you looking for as far as like well, brown bass go? Oh, as far as smallmouths go. Well, we'll we'll touch on smallmouth and then we'll go to green ones. Yeah. After. Okay. So smallmouths. Um, 
the females usually push back out and they start to, you know, do their thing out a little bit deeper. Um, they can be really hard to fire up from what I've noticed. Um, you can get them to eat, but they're, they're just recovering from the spawn and just chilling usually out on the 12 to 15 foot breaks. Um, so normally what I like to do is I throw a moving bait to locate them. Uh, the, the, the tough thing about smallmouth is they don't school back up right away. So usually post-spawn is some of the toughest fishing for smallmouth. So you're going to find, um, unless you're fishing males and you're targeting fry garters. That's usually where you're going to have your best success. So you're still going to be up shallow. And when I'm doing that, I'm throwing a lot of moving baits. Um, I'm throwing, if I'm throwing a bottom bait, I'm throwing like a, um, like an altering swing head with a biffle bug, um, where I can keep that bait moving and not get it hung up. Uh, I'll be throwing, uh, some shallow diving crankbaits, uh, spurl rock crawlers are really, really good ones for covering that 10 foot depth range area. Um, and then if you push out a little bit deeper for those larger females, that's where I'm really slowing down a lot and throwing net rigs. Um, I'll also be throwing drop shots on the drop shots. I'll be throwing little baby tubes, um, small Kytex. Um, and I'm doing a lot more soaking of the bait and just slowly dragging it, uh, just to help trigger them to eat. Um, usually come July, that's when I'll start getting a lot more aggressive with the fish and getting more of those reaction strikes. Usually they're definitely recuperated from the spawn and you can normally get them back into schools again. Um, and that's usually the time period where that 12 to 15 foot depth range is key uh, because they haven't transitioned to the dog days of summer phase, which is where they're going to be out super, super deep. So I can usually find them, you know, in that 12 to 15 foot depth range is usually a sweet spot, even 10 to 15 um, right after they spawn. And you can usually pick up some larger fish out in that depth. And so they're using the, the, smallmouth they're using the deeper water to recover as yep. their kind of hiding hiding place yes um, now for largemouth i've found a lot of times to go to the nastiest gnarliest grossest stuff to find post-spawn fish that are trying to be yes. left alone yep you've got definitely two types of fish with largemouth smallmouth usually kind of all do the same thing um, large mouse, on the other hand, you have two types of fish. You have the fish that are going to go back to the weed edge. They're not going to go out to that deep rock quite yet, but they'll be out on that weed edge or just inside the weed edge. Usually there's two types of weed lines. You'll have a shallow milfoil line, and then you have a deeper coontail line. And normally you'll find them on that shallower milfoil line or inside edges. Um, but to be completely honest with you, my favorite, and this is super easy to do on all the lakes in the Metro is I look for bluegill beds. Um, oh, yeah. a lot of those big females do stay up shallow for large mouse and they'll hang out on that inside weed edge where it's all thick and matted up like you were saying, but they'll be relating to bluegill beds and that's how they recover and recuperate quickly is by chowing on some bluegills. Mm -hmm. So um, even though I'm not fishing for the bluegills, I'm using larger swim baits that emulate a bluegill. Um, I'm using big bulky jigs and then, uh, dude, my favorite is throwing a frog. Top water post spawn is some of the most fun that you can have. Um, usually what you'll, what you can find is like on Minnetonka, you'll have big giant weed flats. Um, and post spawn right in the morning, I like tucking a big top water over the top of them. Uh, probably my favorite is a reaction innovations Vixen, um, or a dual realis pencil bait where it's got very aggressive side to side movements. Um, you're not going to get numbers of fish, but you can usually get one or two big ones to fire up over the top of a big weed flat. That's just kind of cruising. Um, like you said, large mouse. You don't notice them push out right away. Mm -hmm. They do kind of hang up around that shallow stuff. Um, and then, all, all as always, one of our favorites is you know fishing docks and the post spawn too. Right, and that I kind of learned a hard lesson that way. One of my first post spawn, we had a tournament 
and it was during the post-spawn, and I was kind of doing, you know, like what you said, I pushed out a little bit, not super deep, but I was checking the weed line, inside weed line, outside weed line, thinking, well, they're going to come out here, and then, you know, back at the dock, when I got my butt handed to me, and talking to the, the winner, found out that he was fishing just the nastiest stuff you could find under docks. Yep. And one of the, and his big fish came off of a dock that I stared straight at and was going to cast to and decided, nah, they're not going to be there. Like, well, I don't know why I didn't just <laughs> try it on works. my way out, you know, because I went into this lily pad bay and checked that out, and they weren't there. And so I'm like, well, they must be out deep. And I just went, blew right past all the, you know, tons of water yeah. and i was like ah that's garbage they're not gonna be in there well that's where and see are. that's what makes post spawn so hard is because they're not schooled up and so it's hard to train your brain into thinking like okay just because i'm not catching them here doesn't mean the next cast i'm not going to catch them. right whereas if you're working a weed point and you can cover the whole weed point pretty quick you can know right away if they're there or not because you can usually convert them pretty quickly if they're schooled like I said, the dumb and, part was like, yeah. why didn't, why not throw a few casts at it? I literally had to pass it on my way out of that bay, and it's shallow enough that yeah. I wasn't, you know, zipping out of there with the big motor. I had to basically troll out of there anyways. Like it was dumb. I should have just. There's no guarantee it, I would have caught that fish, you know, depending on what I was throwing or whatever. It but. could also be a timing thing, you know. He could have just hit it right. at the right exactly. exact time that fish pulled up. Like that's a weird thing about pre-spawn is or post-spawn. There's not really a rhyme or reason to it. They kind of are just meandering around doing what they want until you get a couple of those 90 degree days and that water temp gets towards that 72 plus range that's when you're going to see those fish really start to congregate again that's when you see the bluegills start to wrap up their spawn those fish push out start eating bugs start chasing bait and that's when you see those larger bass you know really start to fire up into big schools that's kind of an interesting little uh switcheroo there that the bass and the bluegill play right the the bluegills are pestering the bass and marauding their beds and then once the bluegills get on the beds then it's the bass's turn to yeah to fuck with the bluegills a little bit <laughs> it really is and you know a lot of people really overlook that they uh they don't realize that those fish stay shelled a lot of people i mean i i was doing it for years i would just go right out to the weed edge and think that, oh, they're not spawning. They're out now. Well, a lot of those fish stay shallow for two to three weeks after the spawn. And even further past that, chasing bait and bluegills. So, yeah, it's definitely an overlooked thing that I've learned to start to focus on. And I think last two years ago was a big year where I really realized that they don't push out right away. Because no. I was getting my ass whooped. Um, I was I fishing the Minnetonka Classic. And... Yeah, we made that mistake. We were fishing way too deep. We should have been up in the nasty. Yeah, I catch a lot of fish now in water that you think you have no business even casting to. It just mm -hmm. looks, its it doesn't even look like it's a foot deep. It's gnarly. And I've learned to just cast in there anyway. And this happened to me on Gull just this past weekend. It was like, wow, this is super shallow in here. But there was a tree. I was like, I went in there because of the tree laid over. You know, I'm like... Ah, uh, that thing's like in no water. But I've learned too many times that they can still hold fish. So I threw my bait up in there and got and caught two fish off of it. And they're decent fish too. It's like just in no water. You're like, wow. Oh that's yeah. It's just crazy. That's uh dude, that that's one thing that a lot of people should take away from this is if you have a lake with a lot of super shallow water, so I'm talking like lakes like dull, lakes like clear water, where you have 20, 30 foot of water, and then it's like a straight cliff, and it comes up, yep. and it's two foot deep. And you'll have areas where it's an insane, like a 100-yard flat, like White Bear is another one, where it's a long flat to shore. Those fish have to be somewhere on that flat. And they oftentimes, a lot of people don't think that they'll be on the bank. Well, sometimes yeah. that's the only structure for them to right. go to. Or so, the only shade being thrown. You know exactly, and a lot of my best stuff on lakes like that are I'll literally look for the biggest flat on the lake that comes out the furthest from shore, and I'll go straight to the bank. My trolling motor will be damn near out of the water, my motor will be completely out of the water. So, let's try this. Can you, <laughs> okay, can you hear me all right? <laughs> yep, I can all hear right. you just yeah. fine. So, phone died, and now we're 
talking via computer. Hopefully, my uh, shitty internet out here in the sticks won't <laughs> fail me. Where are you living? <laughs> Stacy, Minnesota. Okay. It's, just, it's not that. I'm really not that far. I'm like three miles. Actually, I'm exactly two miles west of the freeway. And okay. it's just, it shouldn't be as bad as it is. They just haven't updated the lines in this little neighborhood out here. It's just, it's, oh. it's got awful. So hopefully yeah. we'll do that eventually. But right now it sounds decent. almost sounds better than the, the phone, to be honest. But we'll it sounds continue. pretty good. Yeah. So where were yeah. we? Uh, oh, post shallow super shallow docks or anything, you know, throwing shade, cover, trees. Uh, you know, midsummer actually. This was, it was northern Minnesota, but it was midsummer. I actually stumbled on a super shallow bite like that. That was like fish that were on shore, basically. And you're like, well, I don't know why. I have no idea why the fish are here. But we had kind of been struggling all week to really put a good pattern together, and then stumbled upon this. I think I was just like fishing some what I thought was dead water just to get to the next spot, and then started catching fish. And it was like anything that threw a shadow was holding a fish. And it mm-hmm. wasn't until we kind of went on this little hike on an island and I saw there was a, a crayfish walking on dry land, just walking around. And I know they'll do that when they're molting. And that's kind of like when the light bulb went off. I said, you know what? I think these fish pulled up and they're waiting for these crayfish, crayfish to come back off land after their molt. And they're taking advantage of that soft, you know, soft shell crayfish and they'll do that once i once i kind of stumbled on that i'm like screw everything offshore i literally just put the trolling motor on high and went around the shoreline and anything that cast a shadow i don't care if it was a a four inch stick i'd throw to it and nine times out of ten you'd get whacked it was just it was bizarre yep yeah it's uh dude there's there's always fish shallow and there's always fish deep, especially in the summer. Uh, you're always going to have fish that are very opportunist and just stay shallow. They live under docks. They find their home and that's where they just live. You're not going to find schools, but um, that's, to be honest, that's one thing I love to do on Tonka is I'll go and hit a few docks that I know a big fish can usually hang around. And that's usually found by just spending time on, on a lake and you'll find an area of docks. You'll find one little corner of a lily pad field. You'll find little nuances that you can get a big fish off of. And dude, to be honest with you, a lot of times that's where I get a kicker fish um, is on a little area like that where the fish just calls home. And there's something to be said about that and then guys that are just strict deep water guys in the middle of summer like i've seen it plenty of times on minnetonka where there'll be a guy that has you know all three and three quarter three and a half pound fish has a solid bag and you'll have a guy that has a couple two pounders a three pounder and then two five and a halves and he was fishing shallow the entire day he wasn't catching the numbers he wasn't catching the average size but that's where you get your, your big ones. And so right. um, there, there's always fish shallow and there's always fish deep. Granted, in the spring, a lot of those fish go shallow. In the fall, a lot of those fish go shallow as well. Yep. Um, and that's because they're eating or spawning. It's something pretty cool to um, – it's a cool feeling like when you kind of put that puzzle together. When you find yourself fishing an area – catching in an area, I should say, and you're looking around the lake and nobody else is doing it. You're like, all yeah, right, I figured. It's a good feeling. Yeah, you're like, all right, nobody. Everybody's out on that weed edge, or they're doing this, they're doing that, and they're probably looking at you going, what is that idiot doing way up there in that? There's, like, garbage water up there. What is that moron doing? And meanwhile. It also screws with your head, though, because if you're not catching them and you see everyone else out there. Yes, it does. You're like, oh, shit, what did I miss? <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> so, like, yep. there's two ways to go about that. <laughs> well, you know, when, but, when is your tournament on uh, Tonka? Uh, June 5th. So it's coming up here uh, Boy, that, that, a uh, week after this weekend. The bluegill bed pattern just might come into play. Yes, sir. That's what I'm going to be doing a lot of focusing on is bluegill beds and inside weed edges um, and some docks. Um, I'm 
I'm primarily going to be in pretty shallow water. Yeah, I do, um, I, June 5th, I wouldn't expect anything to be too terribly deep yet. Yeah, I, uh, I've, I've screwed up a lot and spent too much time out there this time of year in that 12 to 15 foot of water range uh, on big weed flats or on weed lines. And it's, it took me a while to learn it, but cause I'm a, I'm a, I'm an offshore guy. I love using my electronics. I'm an electronics junkie. I don't know if you've seen my boat, but I've got crafts <laughs> everywhere on it. I, I love spending time behind the steering wheel looking for fish and then catching the fish off of sonar. Um, a lot of that comes with my job. I love sonar. Uh, it's a big thing of what I do is analyzing sonar, how to make it better, the performance of sonar, um, a lot of the nuances of frequency. And it, uh, yeah, I, I've learned with my stubborn ass <laughs> the last few years that I've spent too much time post-spawn deep and it bit me in the butt the last few years i've had pre-spawn or post-spawn tournaments and i uh, i figured out pretty quick the last couple of years that i need to be spending more time shallow and that's even in the middle of summer too right yeah um, no, it, there'll be can, times yeah they can be they're, really shallow in the, in the heat of summer when you think oh these fish are gonna be in 30 feet deep sometimes they're in two yeah, and it it's hard to do that on a lake like Minnetonka where there is so many fish, um, and you know there's a big school of fish somewhere, and so that's where it can get a little bit troublesome. Right. Well, that second guessing is a is a bitch. No, <laughs> oh, it sucks. I hate it. So One thing much. I like and... speaking of electronics, um, you know, once I get some side imaging, I got my Helix Seven. It was like was able now I can see those bluegill beds. And mm-hmm. more importantly, the ones you can't see with your eyes. Now you can see those deeper bluegill beds, and yeah, that's, that's going to come that's in big, big time key. for for so me. We weren't supposed to say anything about oh, that. Sorry, <laughs> didn't know, didn't <laughs> no, know we're no. keeping that hush hush. <laughs> no, deep, deeper bluegill beds, dude. That is a huge thing. So usually, when I'm looking for deeper bluegill beds, or when I find some deeper bluegill beds, I usually look for the thickest patch of grass or milfoil yes. coontail cabbage whatever it is i look for the thickest patch of it that's touching the bluegill beds so like on whatever side of the beds is and that's what i focus on normally what i do first is i pull off so that i'm a bomb cast away uh the first thing that i throw is like a speed worm um, or a jig, and I cast it up there. Speedworm, I can work it through the mid column of the grass by just slow rolling it. Uh, I'll then work it with a jig, and I'll actually flip at it uh, from a long ways away. And then the next thing that I do is I work through the center of the bluegill beds. I'll drag that big jig. It is annoying. You get the shit pecked out of that yeah, jig yeah. by bluegills, but you just kind of have to train yourself to it because. You'll know the difference. It's a thump when you get hit because they kill it. Um, and so when I go and start working the actual pothole golf ball looking bluegill bed nest, um, I will throw uh, a half ounce AT jig through it and I'll drag it through just with a regular craw trailer. I'll then take that big swim bait that I was using, uh, Optima Baits Osprey. Um, another one that I like to throw is a mega bass. Um, oh, I'm going to totally screw up the name of it now. Not a spark shad, uh, mag draft. Um, and then I, I'll also throw a big spark shad through there, like a five inch spark shad, but I'll throw a, like a six inch mag draft through it. Um, or I'll throw a Carolina rig with a four inch ring fry. Uh, Carolina rig is a very underlooked bait that I highly recommend more people throw. Um, it's a great post-spawn bait. And so I'll throw that as well. Um, and that's kind of what I like to just, that's how I start out with, uh, with bluegill beds. I'll throw the top, the top water right away, probably first cast sometimes too. If I notice that I can get a few fish to react, um, but yeah, that blue guys, that's how I, I like to approach them. Um, otherwise, I just hope in a lot of times the spring after they spawn, I'll throw a uh, lot. They seem to kill pretty good, too. All right. So much for 
so much my internet holding up. Start getting yeah, it's starting to get uh -oh. goofy. Get a little robotic there. Hopefully it fixes itself. Ah, it's being stupid. You there? Yeah, <laughs> I'm here. But welcome to Stacy, Minnesota. <laughs> stupid internet. I hate it so awesome. bad. Oh, it's a Mayan. It's the same thing for me. <laughs> well, it's also me. I'm too here in Minnesota. I'm out here right now. So, uh, trust me, I'm gonna be having to get used to it. I gotta get one of those Wi-Fi cell boosters or something. Yeah, there you go. Uh, now, now she cleaned up. I think they bit. have those. Yeah, they're actually quite expensive. Actually, I looked into it. I was like, good night. These things are expensive. Perfect. But I need to get just. I need to get on, like Frontier, and just like hound them mm. till they come out here and upgrade our box. Like the net, like the neighborhood box needs to be done. It's like, come on, man. It's, what is this? Like, like Patrick and Doug call me Dial-Up yeah. Dale because it's so bad. But anyways, well, what are you yeah. on a tournament trail this year? Or are you just doing opens for the bass fishing? Uh, I just, yeah, I just, I laid off on tournaments this year with the house. Um, I'm just doing, I did a crappy tournament this spring. And then I'm doing a uh, the Minnetonka Classic, which is in two weeks. Then I'm fishing the Blackfish Classic. And then I'm fishing the Battle of Assets up on Gull. Um, so I'm just doing three larger money tournaments this year. I'm not doing a series this year. Okay. Uh, next year I'll probably end up doing a series. Maybe. We'll see. I got a wedding next year. So <laughs> it's going to be busy with that. So what we'll see the, how that goes. What are um, the average bags up on Gull? I didn't catch anything too crazy good as far as bass is um, concerned. But depends man, on the time of year. Anywhere threes. from sixteen to twenty oh, for that's that good. winning okay. bag. If it's fishing top sixteen, if it's fishing good, twenty to twenty-three. Okay. In the fall, you can get twenty-two pound bags. Um, so deep. bass are getting a lot bigger. Uh, yeah, that's that's usually what it average on average takes. That's not a bad. That's, Tonka, that's, that's respectable though. That's a twenty usually pound 20 bag to is 23. respectable. Yeah, Tom yeah. Can yep, they're good bags. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not like, you know, the Malax thing where you're expecting, you know, 28. It's just absurd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Malax is pretty ridiculous. When you get 25 pounds and you're like, damn it, we only have 25 pounds. We're not even in the money. You're like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I took 11th out there in a Cabela's NABC circuit, and I had 22.36. Jesus. <laughs> I took a. 11th that's just nuts yeah it's pretty bad but you know what i mean you just you can't be satisfied with 22 pounds out there that lake is just it's a different beast something totally different yeah, sure. it is it truly is mm -hmm. well because the internet's being stupid and i think we mostly covered what we wanted to cover uh is there anything else you wanted to say anything for people to look forward to as far as social media well, is concerned, we've got, shows uh, you're doing? Uh, pretty much I'm just going to be doing the same stuff as always. Uh, just fishing all summer long. Might not be fishing quite as much this summer, but I'll be out there. Uh, but, yeah, this winter, um, stay tuned. We're going to have some big stuff coming on Bart's YouTube channel. Um, and then Griff and I's social, social media platforms as well. Um and I'll be working the ice show. All the shows are supposed to be back this year, so it should be an awesome winter. Um, we're also going to try to do some stuff with the fans too uh, and do some meetups and such like that. So we'll be posting everything, and hopefully we'll, we'll get a couple more podcasts in. Yeah, for sure. Anytime you got something you need to, to promote, hit me up. Um, I'll probably check back in. Uh, as I already follow you on social media, I'll check back in to see how you do on Minnetonka, and we'll get a little <laughs> recap of that. That'd be fun. Absolutely. Yeah. Actually, you know what would be pretty cool if you get a recap of me and Griff together. We could definitely figure that out. I'm so mad. So this weekend I I stared at my podcast equipment when I went up to the cabin. I'm like, I should bring that just in case. Ah, forget it. And then Oh dude, it would have been, oh, been pretty epic. That would have been hilarious. Which I need to get more <laughs> of that kind of stuff. I need to do more of those just hanging out with buds drinking and just getting silly that kind of stuff is exactly what this podcast needs more of so yeah you get you get a free weekend <laughs> give me enough heads up i'm in 
Let's go. Perfect. We can. We need to do one from the boat. Do that too. I haven't done. I did one from Streamside with Squeaks uh, one year, and then that was it. I haven't. That's. I got my little portable, so there's no reason to not do one from the boat. It'd be kind of cool. Yep, I hear you there. Very fun. All right, dude, thanks for your time, uh, and we'll do it again. Sounds good. I'll catch you later, bro. Yeah, later, dude. See ya. Bye. Spend your Saturdays with life on the water. Join Captain Brandon Simmons for fishing, diving, travel, and so much more. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Oh, look at that thing, dude. Wow. Oh. <laughs> Let's see what kind of trouble we can get into today. Don't miss Life on the Water every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. <laughs> the destination for outdoor entertainment. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.